Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Okay, so I was kind of half expecting church to be empty this morning <laughs> after Bonnie started us off last week. Not because, what, not because what Bonnie said wasn't great, it was great, but she did let us know that for the next few weeks we will be talking about things that may well make us feel uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> not because we have some perverse desire to feel uncomfortable, and trust me, we feel may, more, much more uncomfortable here than you do down there, but because we want to start conversations. These are conversations that need to be had. These are conversations we need to be having and they might just be conversations that bring breakthrough in your lives and conversations that draw you closer to God. So we're having them. And this morning, I've brought my little box of tricks. (laughs) This morning, the first thing I want to do is the first thing we always do when we're talking from up here and that is put scripture on the table. Front and foremost, always Scripture. The second thing I want to I want to do, which is um, also good and and follows on from that, is put God on the table. God is. I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. There we go. Is that is that? Does this make the other? God is on the table. The other thing we're doing this morning is putting sex on the table. So we will have when I've finished. Is that right? Oh, it's upside down. (laughs) Looks right to me. No, it was? Oh, the E's upside down. Can an E be upside down? There, yes. So we're putting... Is that right? The E should be the other way? Oh, you see the back of it? That's all right. Um, So we are putting... Please don't be offended that sex is the same size as God. Um, that's, (laughs) That's just how they came from the shop. I'm not making a statement about sex being as important as God, but... (laughs) Work with me. So I ordered those letters online just to break the ice for us this morning and they arrived. And so I took them out and put them on the sideboard just to check that I'd ordered the right letters. And I left them there thinking, okay, that's good. I'll leave them there and they'll remind me to pray about today. Anyway, my kids came home from school and had little conniptions. Um, Turns out they were quite shocked at the concept of seeing God and sex in the same place. But it started a conversation and we talked about what I was talking about today and, and how it was important. And anyway, they seemed to accept that and they moved off and did whatever they did. And God and sex stayed on the sideboard. Until a couple of days later, um, one of my little guys uh, came to me and said, Mum, I'm really happy for you to keep God there, but could you please take sex down? <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it got me thinking, um, we might not find it really comfortable to put God and sex, to see God and sex so close to each other. That might make us feel a bit, and some of you might feel like that's a little bit um, uncomfortable too. It might feel a little bit wrong. But what I want to say is actually it's the perfect fit. It's the truth of where sex should be, right there behind Scripture with God. Um, but we'll get to that. Um, there are a couple of things I apologise to say before we 
get to that. Um, I initially thought I was going to start by apologising to anyone that was new to Northridge this morning for walking in on the sex talk, but I don't think there is anyone new. And anyway, I decided that I didn't want to apologise because I don't want to be part of a community where we're not prepared to tackle the hard issues. We're not prepared to be uncomfortable in an effort to draw us close to God. I, I want to wrestle. I want us to be prepared to wrestle together. I don't want us to shut up or shut each other out. I want us together to to find the heart of God, even if that means in the process, we will be uncomfortable. So that is what we're doing today. So I'm not apologising. I'm welcoming you all to the conversation. I also want to say that I recognise that not all of us will be having sex at this point in our lives. For some, that's a choice. And for others, that's a circumstance of life that you have found yourself in. But I also want to reassure you that you are definitely part of this conversation this morning. We all, whether we're having it or not, have an understanding of sex and sexuality. And that understanding then plays out in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, and maybe even in our hopes and dreams. So this conversation, the conversation we're starting this morning, is for all of us. It was funny, I was sitting there listening to Bonnie talk last week and, and it occurred to me that sex and money are very similar in, in, in many ways. And we talk about them or don't talk about them in, in similar ways. Most of us, we don't like talking about our finances, certainly not publicly, and we don't like talking about sex publicly because it's a private matter. But there are some people who do um, like talking about sex and finances. And when they do, I don't know if you've observed, but I certainly have, that they usually talk about them both the same way and in one of two ways. They are either bragging about how much they have or they are lamenting their lack. But again, some, that's not where we're going this morning. Just to reassure you, that's not where we're heading this morning. I want to do something slightly different. What I also want to, so that you can relax, is that unlike other times, I won't be sharing stories from my own life. <laughs> no one breathed a sigh of relief more than my husband just then. Um, I also, I won't be telling you what to do in your own lives. I won't be discussing any particular sexual acts or activities. They may be conversations that you need to have, but that's not a conversation for us today. What I am going to do this morning, now that I've told you what I'm not going to do, is ask you to consider your understanding of sex. And I'm going to ask you to consider specifically if that understanding of sex is based on the worldview of sex, or if, is someone counting how many times I say sex? Because I feel like it's a lot. Um, um, don't do that, by the way, don't do that. And now I've lost my train of thought. Um, consider whether that understanding is rooted in God's plan and God's design, or if it's rooted in what the world has told us. Is it just something that we've picked up along the way and we're living out of that? Okay, we'll get into how they differ, because they do differ, greatly in a minute. But what I, I want to start by saying very simply, the world says sex and sexuality is all about the individual. Like so many concepts that the world offers us, it's me-focused. Whereas godly sex is other-focused. And ultimately, it draws us back to him. So if we start oh that was loud, sorry. If we start by looking around, we can see how sex permeates our culture. It is 
everywhere. There is no doubt that the world is talking about sex. It is talking often and it is talking loudly. So some would say that we live in a sex-crazed society. And now I'm not sure that our society is any more sex-crazed than the pages of history would reveal about other societies. But the fact is about our society is that we have access to information that we have had at no other point in history. We live in a time and a place with unparalleled access to information and images. So what our society definitely is, is sex and sexuality saturated. You can't avoid it. Even if you wanted to, you would, I mean, you'd have to live off the grid. You'd have to sequester yourself away somewhere and and live off the grid. And I'm not sure it's even possible then. It affects our lives, it affects our kids' lives, and we need to be talking about it. I've started watching, um, there's a show, an Australian drama, I suppose you'd call it, on the SBS called The Hunted. Has anyone else watched it? It's, um, it's hard. I'll be honest, it's really hard to watch. What it is, it's, it's a realistic view of some of the issues our teenagers are facing in relation to sex and sexuality. In particular, it looks at sexting. Um, and I've only watched two episodes and I'm, I'm heartbroken, absolutely heartbroken at the way sex is sought and used in modern community amongst our teenagers. It's destructive, it's soul-destroying, and it is so far, so far from God's plan for sex and sexuality in our lives. But I'm watching because I feel like I need to know. This is the world my kids are growing up in, and so I need to know what dangers they face, what the issues are that they're going to, to, to face as, as they grow. And well, the other thing it shows me is that as Christians, we need to know because we need to take a stand. We need to be offering an alternative. We need to be offering something that is good and healthy and life-giving. We need to be offering God's design and plan for sex. And we need to stand up and we need to do it as loudly as the world is doing it. We are putting today, without all the questions and certainly without all the answers, we are putting God and sex and scripture on the table together and we are starting a conversation. I want to start with what the world says about sex. Um, I mean, you probably already have an understanding, but... Um, I want to look at a couple of viewpoints that the world has. There are many, many, many worldviews about sex, about what it is, about what it means, about how we should be doing it, about how often we should be doing it, all of that. There's heaps of information, and many of the worldviews have existed for centuries. But I wanted to mention just four of the really popular ones, and it's a simplified version. Um, You may recognise them from conversations or from the media or maybe even from your own belief system. Um, The first one is sexual realism. This views sex as just another bodily function. It's much like an appetite, much like hunger, that we should fulfil it as and when we feel like we should, but the only precaution is that we just need to be sensible because and responsible because, you know, if we do too much of it, there might be some negative consequences. But really, it's just a natural appetite like eating and, and if we're hungry, we eat. If we feel like sex, we should have sex. The second one is sexual platonism. I always say that. I'm laughing because I say the word incorrectly all the time. Platonism. 
I don't know, Platonism? Anyway, it doesn't matter. This particular viewpoint sees sex as dirty. It sees it as a natural animal instinct, which is to be subdued. And that is because it sees our body, you know, we are three parts, body, soul and spirit. It sees our body as dirty and full of animal instincts to be subdued. But it sees our spirit as being more noble than our flesh. And so that if we are more spiritual, we will then subdue our fleshly desires and focus only on our spiritual endeavours. And so sex is necessary in this view for procreation, but really apart from that, it should be avoided. And it's certainly not good in and of itself. The third one is sexual romanticism. And this view regards sex and sexuality romantically. Basically, humans are good. And so sex is good. And we just need to be creative about it. And we find ourselves um, by expressing ourselves sexually. Um, what makes sex right or wrong in this worldview is whether or not it's a sincere expression of love. So if it's a sincere expression of love, then it's fine to go find yourself. The last one is sexual humanism. This view says that we as individuals are responsible for our lives and our own fulfilment, sexually included. In this view, sex is defined by the individual, and so then sex can mean whatever you want it to mean. Whatever it means for you is the right meaning. This view says individuals should be permitted to express their sexual proclivities and pursue their lifestyles however they please. In this view, sexual sin is simply a relativist human interpretation. So those are some of the ways the world views sex, but what we really want to know, what I really want to talk about, is how God views sex. What is the Christian standard? What are the alternatives that we're meant to be offering? What should we be believing about sex? And what does God say about sex? Well, to find those answers, we need to start by looking at God's plan for marriage. Why do we do that? Because the marriage covenant is the context within which God designed sexual relations. The covenant, a covenant is the tool used by God to establish his relationship with mankind, and it is also the vehicle used to establish the relationship for sexual interaction. We know from scripture, looking at marriage, that it is useful for many things. It's useful for procreation and it's useful for the avoidance of sexual sin. But more importantly, you'll find on an, in a number of places, but particularly in Ephesians, that marriage is revealed as a symbol or a reflection of God's relationship with his church. It is established to represent and reflect his love for us, faithful, his love for his people. The covenant of marriage models the faithful covenant of God to his people and ultimately is a way for us within marriage to more deeply understand his love for us and his sacrifice for us. Looking at marriage this way and understanding that particular thing about marriage is probably not new to a lot of people, but I did wonder as I was preparing that how many of us have actually sat down and thought about that in terms of our own marriages, thought about how accurately our marriages, our interactions with our spouse reflect Christ's interactions with his church, Christ's sacrificial love for his church. But that's just a side, that's just a side issue. That was just a thought I had. Um, so where am I going? Where, where am I taking this? Well, I'm taking it to the first of four statements that I want to make about sex this morning. 
Oh, we're going to have loads of time for prayer. Um, (laughs) Just saying. Um, (laughs) The first statement is that sex is about serving my spouse. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute because maybe you haven't thought about sex that way before. I'm not sure that I had um, before I started today. The passages we'll talk about were not unfamiliar to me, but I'm not sure that I'd actually sat down and thought about it like that. And some of you may think I'm mad, but stay with me. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32... Paul is speaking of a man and a woman becoming one flesh, and part of that is a man and a woman having sex. And he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Ergo, our marriages are, our sex is, meant to reflect Christ's sacrificial love for the church. The Christ, the bridegroom, gave himself up for us the bride. And we, the bride, lay down our lives for him, the bridegroom. If our marriages are a reflection of that, it then follows that we lay ourselves down for our spouse. And our spouse lays themselves down for us as a reflection of this mysterious and amazing relationship between Christ and his church. In marriage, in sex, as in the gospel, we find ourselves and we find God's heart for us as we give ourselves away, as we die to ourselves and we give ourselves away. We aim in this moment to display sacrificial, covenantal love to our bride or bridegroom. Godly sex then becomes not about securing our own pleasure, but about offering a gift of pleasure to our spouse. Sex as God designed it, intended it, requires a servant heart, requires a selfless heart. In Corinthian, Paul talks very, very specifically about our, in marriage, our bodies belonging to our spouse. Now, these verses are really difficult and they often um, stir up really strong emotions. And I want to say that I acknowledge that and I want to say that I, I know that some of you might be offended by what I'm saying, but and particularly about these verses. Um, but I want to ask you to hold on to that offence or that uncertainty for just a minute, to lay it to the side so that we can see the fullness of the picture that Paul is painting here. I don't want you to be offended and then miss the heart of God in this moment. So just, if you can, put that to the side um, and hear what Paul is saying because the statement that Paul is making here is not an attack. It's not an attack on women and it's not a free-for-all for men. That is not what he is saying in any way. Self-actually doing is attacking and fighting against the existing selfish attitudes of people, people of that time. Selfish views, selfish thoughts, and selfish acts. God's design and the ability for us to give ourselves away in that way that he's asking is perfected in its completeness. That is where there is no demanding from either party. There is only mutual self-sacrifice. 
Now, I do want to acknowledge that living the way Paul describes, the way God designed, presents challenges for many, many reasons, not the least of which we are human and we are married to humans and we live in a broken world. And our sexual relationships, because of that, are complicated and we carry hurts maybe. And so it's not as easy as perhaps you think I'm making it sound. But I don't, what I don't want is for you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't want you just to dismiss this because it might be hard. I want you to hear hope. I want you to hear God's plan. I want you to see perhaps a beauty and a power in sex that you haven't seen or maybe even thought about before. While there are challenges, I want to say that we can, with God, overcome those challenges and that we are, until he comes back, until Jesus comes back, a work in progress. And as we turn to him in every area of our lives, including this one, he does not let us go. He walks with us and he encourages us on. Okay, so the second statement is that sex is for reproduction but not only for reproduction. <laughs> Some more concerned the avenues of the Christian church would say that sex is only about having, the, uh, having babies or trying to have babies. As I mentioned earlier, that is part of it. Uh, reproducing in the environment of marriage covenant is part of God's plan. However, it is not the whole story. And I want to lead on, and that leads me on to the third statement I want to make about sex. And that is that sex is good and sex is pleasurable. We know sex is good because we're told in Scripture that everything God created is good and God created sex. If you're not sure about that, have a look. I don't know, Genesis, it's there. It's there in all sorts of books. It's there in 1 Timothy, many places, that what God created is good and God created and planned and designed sex. And so it is good. Okay, so we know it's good. However, if you were to take your Bibles or on your phones and you were to do a search of sex or sexual activity or sexuality or sexual, what you will find is a lot of, are a lot of verses that talk about sexual immorality that talk about what we need to avoid, what we need to not be doing to, to stay pure. And while these are not bad, they're guidelines and they're good and they're helpful and we need to use them. But if we stop there, sex just becomes a list of things we can't do and people that we can't do them with. And that misses a whole other part of God's design for sex. There are very few clues in that particular search that would show us whether or not sex is meant to be, let's say, fun or enjoyable. However... Tucked away in the Bible, among the law and the prophets, is a little book called The Song of Solomon. Or, or requirements, you will find the Song of Songs, the most beautiful love song ever written. This song represents sexuality as an exquisite delight, a wonderful gift to, from God to be looked forward to within marriage. 
The song itself expresses the cultivation of emotional security and the treasuring of and the benefits of treasuring one's spouse and also the dangers that await us if we neglect this area of our lives and if we don't treasure our spouses. It also warns us about being casual and flippant, about crossing boundaries too soon and about allowing secrecy into our relationships. And if you put all those things together, it ultimately gives hope to all of us. Hope to those who are not married, hope to those who are married, hope to those who have experienced sexual brokenness or sexual hurts, hope to those who, was, who have longed for the kind of intimacy that the book talks about but who have yet to find it, perhaps even though they've been married for many years. So we've established that sex is good and pleasurable, and that leads to my final statement, and that is that not having sex can also be good. In talking about biblical sex and sexuality, we find that there is something for everyone. There is something for the married, and there is something for the unmarried. Many of us are not married. And when we live in that circumstance and we live according to God's will, we live without sex. Paul says in Corinthians that this is, this is a way of living which is to be valued. Often in our society, we don't see it as valued. Whether we do it intentionally or not, we don't value the single life. And yet it is to be valued. And the sacrifice of lack of sex is to be honoured. Paul says in Corinthians that marriage and singleness are both good gifts. So God says marriage and singleness are both good gifts. We see marriage as a gift, but we don't often hear anyone say or talk about singleness as being a gift, let alone a good gift. But I, what I would hope for us is that we would go home and read these passages or from this point understand that singleness is a good gift. I was listening, one of the things I was listening to as I was preparing was someone talking. He was saying, and this is, was, a, was a stretch for my mind, and I have, I've had to do a lot of a, attitude and perspective adjusting as I've been preparing this. Um, so I'm on the same page as maybe some of you are. And one of the things was he was saying, when we, whether, if we, when we decide to enter into marriage, that choice should be, to an extent, based on whether or not that is the best way for us to serve God. So what he's saying was everything we do, God and how we serve God, should be at the heart of it. And for some, that will mean choosing a single life. For some, it's not a choice. It's a, it's a circumstance that of their life and then that's where they're at. But either way, singleness is a good gift. One of the reasons it's, we can see that it's a good gift is that it offers another level of service to God. There are things that you can do as a single person that there are way too many distractions in marriage to do. So I want us to encourage everyone that is, is single, that it's, 
It's, it's not a place to want to be getting out of necessarily. It's a, a good place to be if that's where God has you. Okay, so my hope this morning, as I've given you my four statements, is that you have heard this. The world says sex is all about me. My rights, my desires, my needs, my orgasm. That's what the world says. God says something, unsurprisingly, God says something very, very different. He says sex is more than natural instincts, more than animal urges or my rights or my desires. It is something much more significant. It is the consummation of a deeper relationship that binds us together physically, spiritually and emotionally and at its best offers itself as a reflection of God's love for the church. I'm going to say that again. It is the consummation of a deeper relationship that binds us together physically, spiritually, and emotionally, and at its best, in its design state, as God planned it, is a reflection of his love for the church. Now, there is much more that we could say about sex, um, but I am going to wrap up because I think we've probably all had enough. <laughs> there are a couple of things that I, I want to leave you with and they're important, so I want you to stay with me. The first is that as imperfect people living in a broken world, we are complicated when it comes to sex and sexual relationships. We might know something of the beauty and the power of sex, but we've probably also been hurt or had regrets in relation to sex. And so we probably also need forgiveness and healing. To receive what we need in this area of our lives, we need to allow God to come in and we need to allow him to heal and restore us. That, my friends, is going to take you being courageous. It's going to take risk and it's going to take vulnerability. But I want to encourage you with the fact that it will, in the long run, be worth it. God is faithful to heal and restore, even in our sex lives. The final thing I want to say is really important. This is the start of a conversation. This is not all of the conversation, nowhere near all of the conversation. This is just a start of a conversation. When you can continue this conversation at home, with your spouse, with your friends, or in life group, I want you to ensure that those conversations, that the words you choose are loving, that they are thoughtful, that they are patient, and that they are kind. When we draw boundaries, and we need to draw boundaries, it's good and healthy to draw boundaries. When we draw those lines in the sand, we need to make sure that they are based on scripture. 
We need need to make sure that they are God's lines, God's boundaries for us and not boundaries that are based on our own experience and not boundaries that are based on our own opinion or on a worldview of sex. And the other thing we need to do when we're drawing those lines is make sure that we don't use them to draw a box. Don't draw a box that determines whether people are in or out. Use those lines instead to draw arrows. Draw arrows that point to God. Draw arrows that point to Jesus, his grace and his love for all humanity. Okay, so I'm going to ask the worship guys. We've got 10 minutes to pray. So I'm going to ask the worship guys if you wouldn't mind coming back up, please. And I want you to stand with me, if that's okay. Um, When I was praying this morning, I had a sense that um, today may have raised some things for some of you. And I want, uh, and while if you feel comfortable to come out the front and get prayer, that would be amazing and we would love that. However, I also want to acknowledge that that might not be okay for you and and that's all right too. Um, But I just want to take a couple of seconds if we could just have some music and I want us in our hearts, if there's anything that God has um, prompted you about, that there's anything that he's brought to your attention, brought to your mind as I've been talking, um, if you've in any way been offended, uh, then I want you to bring that to God and let him take it and let him speak into that in this moment. And once we've done that for a bit, I'll pray and then you can all be released. So Heavenly Father, Lord God, we open our hearts and our lives to you and ask that you would come. Lord God, come and shine a light. Let no piece of our lives be untouched by your love and your beauty. Father, give us the strength and the courage to stand against the world, to stand in your name and receive what you have for us.